Pirates know something that, you know, the people up here don't. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Dealing with a slight head cold, so bear with me. Joined this week, back in the rotating co-host chair, Scott Mason, Mr. Play Like a Jet. Scott, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Joe. I had a nice Thanksgiving. As I told you before we started recording, I ate a bunch of turkey. I watched some football. I passed that on the couch. I am a true American. <laughs> I did much of the same. Uh, Thanksgiving games were okay, and it was a fairly entertaining Sunday of football. Uh, in today's podcast, we're going to talk about the Jets' 35-27 loss to the Carolina Panthers, where they stand in the in the AFC currently, and how that should impact the rest of their season. Talk a little 2018 NFL draft as more quarterback chatter starts swirling. Maybe even talk a little Geno Smith and Eli Manning. Uh, but before we dive into it, I uh, want to remind you guys that this podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official sponsor and team partner of the New York Jets. For all your home pregame packages, including this week at home against Kansas City at the Pepsi Gate before kickoff, make sure to check out primesport.com slash turn on the Jets. And if you're thinking of going to Denver or New Orleans or even New England to end the year, also check out primesport.com slash turn on the Jets uh, for all their ticket packages all their pregame party tailgate packages. Give them a follow on Facebook and Twitter as well at Prime Sport. And we are very excited to welcome in our newest sponsor of the Turn on the Jets podcast. We'll also be sponsoring our weekly NFL buffet article, Razor Sport. That's Razorsport.com, the world's most respected betting consultants and handicappers today, producing winners and proving it every single day, every single week for you as we wrap up this NFL season. Make sure to visit Razorsport.com. That's R-A-Z-E-R-S-P-O-R-T.com. Sign up free. Start winning like a Razor member. Again, that's Razorsport.com, R-A-Z-E-R-S-P-O-R-T.com. Hey, it's that time of the year you should have a feel for everyone kind of is as a team. So go out there and uh, win some money with our friends at Razor Sport. Happy to have them on board. Okay, Jets-Panthers. Hey, we've seen this movie before, right? Jets come out. They play well. Uh, they're winning in the third quarter thanks to uh, multiple touchdowns from Robbie Anderson, who continued his terrific sophomore season, putting up uh, some astronomical numbers. Uh, not just Jet history-wide, but league-wide right now. And he he actually wrapped up with 146 yards and two more touchdown receptions. Uh, the Jets were in control of this game. Not in control, but winning this game early in the fourth quarter until Josh McCown uh, was getting tackled and decided to throw the ball on the ground, allowing Luke Keekley to run it back for a touchdown. The Jets then allowed a punt return for a touchdown, and just like that, they were down two possessions. They did come back to score late on a Jermaine Curse score, but really didn't have a chance to tie late thanks to a third down roughing the passer penalty from backup defensive tackle Mike Pinnell. Uh, 35-27 was the score. As I mentioned, Anderson, two touchdowns. Curse, one touchdown. Josh McCown, 307 yards. Jets, running game, quiet again as nobody really ever got going. Another sluggish game for Matt Forte. Defensively, definitely not the Jets' finest effort, although that, you know, bear in mind with the 35 points, seven came from Carolina's special team and seven came from Carolina's defense. But overall, uh, 
you know, not definitely not their best overall effort. Didn't force any turnovers. Uh, held Cam Newton in check for the most part, but never really made that big play in the second half to get off the field and give their offense a better chance late. The Jets now sit at four and seven. Yes, mathematically, they're still in the AFC playoff race, but come on, folks, it's over. Right now, your eyes should be on the standings related to the draft. As If the season ended today, the Jets would be picking seventh. Um, there is a chance that this team could pick anywhere from, I would say, third to about 12th, depending on how these remaining games go. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they play out. Scott, what did you think watching this Jets game against Carolina? They played well. They were ready to go. But another game that they lost despite having a lead in at some point. Yeah, like you said, it was day seen this a million times and Kyle Fahey and I talked about this on Sunday on the post game podcast with our special guest Jim Garrity basically it was what you would expect they hung in there and in the end you've said this before a million times they just don't have enough at the key positions to make those difference making plays and so when they make a mistake like the Josh McCown strip sack or giving up that touchdown on the punt return they just don't have the firepower to really be able to score quickly or be able to get something done on the other end of the ball, forcing a turnover that might have made the difference. And so this is what you get. The, the main thing that I took away from this that was positive was Robbie Anderson. You touched on it. It's been talked about a lot, but he has far surpassed anything that I think any of us could have reasonably expected. I thought that he might be similar to last year and maybe take a little bit of a step forward and become a, a solid receiver. But legitimately he's become one of the best deep threats in the entire league, I think. And he's to me, the best deep threat that this team has had since Santana Moss. He's just, I mean, basically unguardable. I think it was Brian Baldinger did a whole film breakdown of him for NFL network. And he was just like, Hey, listen, these double teams aren't getting the job done either. I mean, they were doubling him on that touchdown pass that McCown threw him in the end zone, and to his credit, it was a nice pass by McCown, but Anderson just going up and getting that ball, there were a lot of concerns into the season about him being not that complete a receiver. It was, okay, Robbie's fast, that's all he can do. Well, we saw him using his body well. There was a play toward the end of the game where he basically like backed him down like he was Dwight Howard, the defensive back, uh, uh, and he was able to make a, a big play there, a big catch. And we saw the ball control and being able to locate the ball on that touchdown and obviously the breakaway speed. I mean, on that second touchdown, there was within, what, 20, 30 yards of him, it felt like. And he, Josh McCown could have walked the ball over there at that point. But overall, yeah, I mean, good, bad, ugly. Marcus May continue to play well. I think he's had a better rookie season than Jamal Adams, not to say that Marcus player but we continue to see that as Marcus May outplayed Adams on Sunday and overall you know encouraging signs for the future with Anderson with Marcus May Darren Lee continues to be better than many of us thought he would be after that rough start for the season and so like you said now we look at who's going to be here in 20, uh, 2018 who's going to be coming in via the draft and free agency and we watched the rest of these games with the intent of seeing who is going to be a potential impact player next year, who's going to be gone, and where will the Jets draft. So I'm not watching the rest of the season with any kind of, I guess, high hopes that they're going to go on some run and finish 9-7 and seven or 8-8. Eight and eight. Not that that would even be a good thing to finish 8-8 eight and eight at this point. But 
that's to where I'm at, and that was my takeaway, is that, okay, now we know the good. Let's see if that good can continue to be good and maybe even get better, and then let's keep our eyes on what's going to happen in, see, in February and the draft in April. Yeah, and I think when you look at a guy like Robbie Anderson, we could stop dropping the qualifiers. I think a lot of people, the criticism getting thrown on him is based more on his 2016 season. I think a lot of people keep saying he's just a speed receiver. He's just good at nine routes. His hands still need work. He's not physical enough. He's proving that wrong every single week. He made multiple catches in traffic where he showed off his hand strength. He's clearly developed a lot from his first year to his second year. And he is, like you said, just one of the best young receivers in football right now, period. The production's there. This is a guy who's outproducing players like Brandon Cooks uh, as a deep threat. This is a guy who has more touchdowns than Julio Jones and Adam Thielen combined this year with seven and has scored in five straight games. I mean, those are legitimate numbers, particularly when you have Josh McCallum throwing to you and Jermaine Curse is the receiver opposite you and no legitimate top flight running back in the backfield. Anderson is producing like one of the better receivers in the NFL right now. And that's very exciting for the Jets because he's only a second-year player and he's only going to get better and only going to get to play with Quincy and Nuon next year and whoever else they add to this group of receivers. Defensively, I agree. Marcus May remains a bright spot. It was not a great day at the office for Jamal Adams, who's had a couple rough games this year. On the whole, it's definitely been a good rookie season for him, but the Cleveland game, the New England game, this game where he had some missed tackles and some missed coverages as well that fortunately Cam Newton wasn't able to take advantage of. The reality is is that, yeah, May has probably had a better rookie year than him, which is a good and a bad thing. It's good that you've got such a good player in the second round. It's a little concerning that your sixth overall pick you know, has been good, but certainly not looked a part of the, you know, the generational player that I think some people thought he would be. That's not saying he can't turn into that and can't eventually be a pro bowl or all pro player because he certainly has the talent for that. But, you know, Jamal Adams doesn't have any more of a claim on being in the rookie of the year discussion than Marcus May does, who's been just so consistent for this team since week one. You know, this was another week that, you know, the lack of a pass rush, you know, comes back to haunt the Jets, I think, overall. Muhammad Wilkerson, he had his little flurry uh, of looking like he was back to life, specifically against Miami and Buffalo. Another quiet game after he was quiet against Tampa Bay. Him and Leonard Williams have only combined for 3.5 sacks in the season. And I know that's not technically their bread and butter, but again, Leonard Williams, sixth overall pick in the draft. you got to do better than 1.5 sacks through 11 games. And he's been good against the run, but certainly not great. This is not a guy who's going to be a Pro Bowl or All-Pro player. And I think a lot of us thought he was going to take that step in year three. And we haven't seen it yet. So those are some of the negatives. But again, overall, I think specifically on the offense, I think you see the shell of a talented unit to build around with Anderson and Safari and Jenkins and Brandon Shell when he's holding up. Uh, and even with Carpenter and sometimes Brian Winters, there's some pieces there. It just needs a quarterback to get over the top. I mean, is there anybody else that you're particularly encouraged about through these 11 games, Scott? Uh, May, as you said, Anderson, Safarian Jenkins have all been really strong. And Adams, even though he struggled at times, we saw against Gronkowski in this past Sunday, he had a little bit of trouble. He's been encouraging. Like I mentioned, Darren Lee, I think we almost thought he was a lost cause first few games of this season, but he's really turned it around. Demario Davis has played a, a lot better than anybody had any right to expect. Certainly after we saw what he did the first time he was here, 
I wouldn't throw big money at him, but he's a guy that at only 27 years old, maybe he's sixth around for a bit. Jordan Jenkins, actually, is a guy that we forgot to talk about. He's played very, very well, I think, overall. He's been that edge setter type, but, Joe, you've talked about this a million times, and I know I have as well. You've got to have the edge setter, but what you really need is that home run hitting pass rusher, and that's the second most important thing to have uh, considering the way that the NFL is right now. So the Jets are going to have to go out and find somebody because there's an astounding stat, and I think it was in Collision Lacrossers, where on drives where a quarterback is sacked, the team only scores something like 8% of the time. And that's why it's such an important thing to have a real big-time sack guy like a Khalil Mack or somebody like that. So whether it's in the draft or whether the Jets throw a ton of money at somebody like Demarcus Lawrence or whatever in free agency, that's something they have to address. But Jordan Jenkins has shown that I think he can be the guy on the other end of that, the edge setter, while you go and look for that home run hitter. And listen, as far as other guys on the offense, you mentioned Shell. I think he's been encouraging. They're going to have to do something at center. But if you look at Elijah McGuire, He's shown little bits and pieces there, uh, you know, here and there, really that big play against Jacksonville more than anything, that he might be an effective third down back and maybe a return man or something at some point because he's got the speed. If they can work with him, they can do with him what they did with Robbie Anderson and really focus on certain areas of weakness with him and progress him into year two but I think the main one above all else that I've, I've really just been so blown away by and we've talked about it is Robbie Anderson it's just so exciting as a Jets fan to have a weapon like that on this offense it's been a really long time since the Jets have had a young star potential offensive skill position player it really has because you know we talk about Brandon Marshall or Eric Decker but here's a guy that's 24 years old he's homegrown and what a find by Mike McCagnan. You know, we, we can debate sort of moves that he made. Some were good, some were bad. But Robbie Anderson, to me, easily his greatest achievement, picking him up out of nowhere as an undrafted free agent at a temple, his greatest achievement as general manager so far. Yeah, and I, a couple guys that you mentioned that I want to, you know, jump on as well. Uh, Demario Davis, definitely, I was certainly skeptical of getting him back here. He was not a guy who was ever anything except a below average starter, really. And he's been, he's been above, he's been an above average starter at inside linebacker for the Jets this year. He still struggles in coverage. Uh, but in terms of being an every down player, uh, and producing as a blitzer and producing against the run, he's given the Jets probably their best inside linebacker play since David Harris, you know, probably around like, you know, 2013, 2014. So uh, it's hard not to be happy with that trade with the Jets dump Calvin Pryor, who's not doing anything anywhere and got a productive starter back with Davis. And Lee has been better in year two than year one. I don't think he's ever going to be an all pro type guy, but I think he, he's a guy who could be a useful part of your defense uh, and has looked a part of a competent starter for the most part this season. Uh, so looking forward, the Jets have five games left. They have Kansas City at home. They're then on the road for Denver and New Orleans. Uh, back home for San Diego. I'm sorry, Los Angeles. Uh, and then close the season in New England. I would say their best chance for a win probably comes the next two weeks. Kansas City has been free-frawling behind the ever-present mediocrity of Alex Smith. They went from 5-0 and to 6-5. and uh, Just lost to the Giants and Buffalo in back-to-back weeks. Who would have thought Buffalo would be better off with Tyrod Taylor? Shocking, I know. 
Uh, and then the Jets play Denver, <laughs> who's been atrocious this year. Do you think the Jets are going to win one of these next two games, or are we just headed towards uh, them losing their final five? It's easy to lose track of with the bye week and the Thursday night win, but the Jets, since being 3-2, and two, have lost five of their last six games. So is this losing streak going to continue, or are they going to stack together a few more wins? Man, it's tough to say right now because the Chiefs and Broncos are both reeling so badly. The Chiefs will be a game that they get at home, too. So you would think that with the Chiefs struggling so badly with Alex Smith being able to or not being able to do very much and the Jets being a much better home team than they are a road team, that if they were going to win one, it would be either this one or the following week on the road against Denver, who's also been struggling big time. They haven't been able to do anything at the quarterback position. Paxton Lynch, I, I believe, is an example right there, right in front of your eyes of why the Jets will never play Christian Hackenberg because they're afraid that Hackenberg will go out there and be every bit as bad, if not worse, than Paxton Lynch was for the Broncos, and then everybody will go, oh, my God, they picked that guy in the second round as opposed to now if maybe they don't play him and he fades into the background and they go out and they spend on Cousins or they draft Rosen or somebody like that, then people just kind of forget about him rather than the Jets becoming a temporary laughing stock. So those two teams are in, in huge disarray. I think it's certainly possible that the Jets could be either or both of them, but I also think it's easily just as possible that they don't win either one of those. And I think your point, Joe, is a hundred if they can't win against these two teams, they might as well just forfeit and you'd say, all right, you know, we'll spend Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve at home with our families. Because if you can't beat these two teams that are struggling so badly, especially the Chiefs at home, I don't know if there's much hope to win anything after that. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how these games play out. I think the Kansas City-Denver games are going to be fairly low-scoring competitive games. I think the Jets are going to have a real tough time uh, in New Orleans, and even even against the Ram, oh, God, the I keep saying San Diego, Los Angeles, right? even against the Chargers with their defensive front, uh, <laughs> is going to be a tough time for the Jets. So they haven't been a good road team this year. Their only road win has been against Cleveland. So uh, be if they're going to get a win, I think this week against Kansas City could be a good shot. Right now they're three and a half point underdogs, which I think is fair. I think it's probably about a coin flip game. I think Kansas City will probably, as a more desperate team find a way to win this game with certainly with more overall talent right now in the Jets. And like we said, with Denver playing Miami this week, Chicago playing San Francisco, uh, some of the other matchups that are upcoming, it is not crazy to think that after all of this and the, the tank in the preseason and then the three and two, and then everyone excited after four and five, that the Jets could still very well end up with a top five pick in this NFL draft. Uh, it's still very much uh, on the table for them. You know, as of now, I would say it seems like Jet fans are probably the most excited about Baker Mayfield. I think a lot of them have stopped looking at Rosen and Darnold, thinking that they're going to go one-two. So you start looking to that next tier of quarterbacks. I like Mayfield. I, I like Jackson a little better as of now. I'd be very happy with either of them. Um, so he's been the popular guy when talking about the draft. I think a lot of people still have interest in Kirk Cousins, and I think that's a debate we're going to be able to have all off season. So I don't think we need to rip through it now. But the real question is, you know, how much money are you comfortable paying him? And if you're not going to get him in free agency, because plenty of teams are going to want him, is there any other veterans 
worth pursuing? How much money do you sink in a guy like Teddy Bridgewater or a guy like Tyrod if he hits the market? Or do you trust taking a flyer on Sam Bradford? What about Case Keenan? Which one of those Minnesota quarterbacks shakes free? Is there any other names outside of Cousins who we know the Jets will be in the bidding for uh, that are veterans that you think might be worth bringing in on sort of a low-cost flyer deal? Oh, man, it's tough because a lot of it has to do with what Minnesota decides to do. They've got three quarterbacks, all three of whom could potentially be out on the open market. Teddy Bridgewater, the big question for me is not only is he healthy, but really how good was he to begin with? A lot of people, I think, look back at him and think a little bit more of him than there really was there. He was on the road to maybe becoming an Alex Smith type, but I never saw anything super special from him. Yet he's young, and he does have ups. Got it. If he hits the market, maybe Sam Bradford, maybe teams get scared because he's been hurt so much, and maybe the Jets are able to get him on a reasonably cheap deal. Obviously, there's Case Keenum. There's the possibility of trading for somebody like Brett Hundley, who played well against the Steelers, and he's somebody that I like coming out of UCLA, and maybe if he finishes the season strong, the Packers decide that he's only got one year left on his deal, and if they can get some draft picks for him, maybe you go that route. You talked about Tyrod Taylor, obviously, if he shakes loose, which I would imagine he will. There's a possibility. The Kirk Cousins thing, I mean, like you said, that's really a long debate that we can have another day, but I think the main question there boils down to how much do you like the quarterback draft if you like Rosen or Darnold if you can even make a move to go up to number one or number two because it depends on whether or not the teams that are sitting in those spots even want to deal is it worth giving up you know basically the the top of two of your drafts to do it or if you don't love those guys do you go with the established guy in Kirk Cousins who's very good not great you know what you're getting. He's not going to be an elite-level passer, but he's still much better than what most teams have. And if so, do you pay him $30 million? So these, there's so many questions involved here. Uh, what I, I would prefer, if they're going to do the flyer thing, to do it on somebody like Brett Hundley, where you make a deal and he's got one year left, and you bring him in, and if he's good, maybe you work an extension or you do a franchise tag, or if you're going to do a, a low-cost flyer, depending on – what Bradford fetches because maybe with the injuries he ends up having to take a one-year prove-it deal or something. I'd rather that, I guess, than paying Case Keenum $15 million, which it's starting to look like somebody may do. In fact, it may even be the Vikings. Uh, Or if they're going to go the veteran route, you know, maybe if you think Kirk Cousins is too expensive, you go with Tyrod Taylor, who isn't going to be cheap, but he'll be significantly cheaper than Cousins. I would imagine he might even get about half of what Cousins gets. So, It'll be interesting, but what I don't want, God help me, and, you know, all due respect to Josh McCown, I'm sure he's a lovely human being and all, I don't want him back here as the starter next year. If he comes back as a backup or something to a young quarterback like Hunley or something, fine, whatever, but I don't have the stomach to sit through another season of another one of these one-year stopgap, mediocre you know, hold the fort, guys. I've, I've just had my fill of that. I agree. I mean, let's... The thing with McCown is he's playing about as well as he ever possibly can right now. He's 38. He'll inevitably regress to the mean. So it's like 
getting a 17 in blackjack and trying to hit. Don't think you're going to recapture this McCown magic or whatever it is again next year. Learn from the mistake you made in 2015. Stop being satisfied with just sort of these average journeyman quarterbacks. Go out there and make an aggressive move uh, and try to really fix this position. Uh, and it's going to be interesting because all options are on the table for this team because if they don't fix quarterback, all these other potential positive things aren't going to matter as much. And, you know, just continuing to string this along with McCown for another year or thinking that maybe Petty or Hack will all of a sudden start playing well, like, it's over. Even if Petty starts the final three games and plays pretty well, that's not enough to change how you approach this offseason. The sample size is too small at this point. The Jets have missed that window. They're going to start McCown probably every game this year, and if not every game, then maybe 14 or 15 games. So, you know, the thought of Petty or Hack having this late-season charge and grabbing the job for 2018, that ship has sailed already. And I, I just don't think you could run back any parts of this quarterback room next year. I think you really got to rebuild it if you're going to be serious about being a contender in the AFC. All right, Scott, before we wrap, give us a preview of this week's Play Like a Jet podcast. We'll have an episode on Friday. Who are you talking to? Friday, we're going to get into part two of our series on the Monday Night Miracle with Marcus Coleman. And this is a little something different than what we've done before. We've mostly done seasons, although we departed for a bit to do the training camp series in August. But if you listen to the charter of the show, it's the biggest moments in Jets history. So that means not only seasons and careers, but games. And so we're going to go play by play, kind of like Mystery Science Theater 3000 or Director's Cut edition of a DVD through the game. And this week, we're going to begin by kind of setting the table. Last week, we got into the background details of Marcus's career and what the Jets had done leading up to 2000, including, of course, the crazy press conference where Bill Belichick resigned as HC of the NYJ. This week, we'll get into the beginnings of the 2000 season to set the stage, including the famous Wayne Corbett flashlight game against Tampa and Keyshawn Johnson. As a crazy game and a crazy comeback, so we'll talk to Marcus about that. And then we get into the beginning of the Monday Night Miracle. It's really fascinating to watch the game where on the other end of the line is somebody who is one of the stars of that game and go through it play-by-play. Play. As a diehard Jets fan, it's something I've always wanted to do, and so I thought it would be a really cool experience to share on Play Like a Jet. It's something that Nicholas Dowadoff talked about doing when he was on the show to talk about 2011 when he said that he sat and watched an entire game with Brian Thomas and got to basically hear his comments as the game went on and ask him questions and so on and so forth. So that's the experience that I'm hoping to bring to you on Friday as we get into the very beginning of the game of the 2000, the October 23rd, 2000 game between the Jets and the Dolphins that would later become known as the Monday Night Miracle. Really looking forward to that. And then, of course, we've got the post-game podcast, myself and Kyle Fahey on Sunday. Jim Gary from National Review came on with us last Sunday. It was a blast having him. This week we're talking about perhaps another special guest. We'll see how that works out. Make sure that you subscribe on iTunes and make sure you review the podcast. It really helps us out a lot. and It doesn't take a whole lot of effort. Make sure that you do the same thing. For this podcast, the Turn on the Jets podcast, it's again, it doesn't cost you anything. It takes two seconds to do, but it helps us out a lot. So we really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, make sure to subscribe to the Turn on the Jets podcast.